So today, <clears throat> I know I have been doing a series on the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to skirt around that this week again. And what I came up with this week was of, in, and on the way. Of, in, and on the way. And I don't know if you... I, when I found this picture, I was like, this must be somewhere in Europe because it's got all kinds of stuff in different languages. And I don't know what they all are. Hopefully there's no cuss words up there in some other language. But uh, anyway, it was the picture that I came up with. Uh, and, and I just really liked what it said. You know, you see hola, amigos. Maybe it's Spanish. I see love in there. Uh, but anyhow, I, I like the arrow. That's the whole reason I picked it. Of, on, and in the way. And when I thought about this, I immediately went back to the first century, the early church. And how many know that that's when the Bible was written? <laughs> I, I say the Bible, that's when most of the New Testament was written. All right, uh, The Old Testament was already written. That was their Bible. But uh, the New Testament, it was being written through the first century by the apostles. In the early church, to be a follower of Jesus was to be a follower of the way. It was kind of like today where I would call you a Christian. You know, back then they would say, hey, are you part of the way? Yep. We see this term used of early believers in uh, a lot of the different scriptures, but here are several of them. And most of them, as you'll see, are in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts 9, 2, 19, 9, and 23, 22, 4, 24, 14, and verse 22. And what you'll see if you go and look at those is most of them are talking about people who are being persecuted. How many like persecution? <laughs> When Saul, before he became Paul, when he was carrying out his duties, he felt his mission was to, to destroy the people of the way. And that included Stephen. And in Acts 9, 1 and 2, we actually read about Paul's uh, introduction, if you will. It talks about how he was persecuting the way, and then it talks about Jesus having this confrontation with him. How many know when you meet Jesus face to face, you're going to lose? All right? He's in, in front of the glory of God. And the scripture says that he was blinded by this experience. So I don't know if that meant that the Lord came as a brilliant light and he couldn't see, or if God just said, okay, we'll fix this. And if you remember the, the, the passage, I don't have it up, but if you remember, Jesus asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It wasn't his people, it was Jesus himself, because those people represented Jesus. <laughs> And Saul's like, huh? I didn't know I was doing that. Anyway, the good news is, Saul 
After meeting Jesus, he had a heart change. And how many know that's what happens when you meet Jesus? doesn't matter how crusty you are, how worldly you are, how much hate is in your heart. When you meet Jesus, if you listen to Him, He can change you from the inside out. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Of, in, and on the way. A little irony, after, Je- or after Saul met with Jesus, of course he gave his life to the Lord. He completely changed that day. And later in Acts 24, he's actually in front of the governor, and the governor starts talking to him, and Paul actually says, I'm part of the way. So here he was back in, uh, I, I believe it's Acts 6, persecuting Stephen and stoning him, and then in Acts 24, he's admitting to being one of them, the very people that he stoned earlier on. I'm a follower of the way. Where does that statement come from? Where does that come from? Anybody know? Very good. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one can come to the Father except through me. And by the way, that's my highlight there. The people grabbed onto that and said, you know what? That's a good name. That's a good name for his people. That's a good name for the followers of Christ. What's Jesus saying in this passage? He's saying, I am the path to the truth. I am the path to the life, everlasting life. And I am the path to the God. There's only one. And they felt confident that that would be a great descriptor of the early church. So while the New Testament portion of the Bible was being written through the first century, If one followed Jesus, he or she became known as a follower of the way. Okay? And to be in the way, this is what it meant. It meant, I will do whatever it takes to let my testimony speak about Jesus. To let my life speak about Jesus. To let everything people see in me point to Jesus. It meant this, if you stepped in the way, you were willing to give your life for the Lord. And when I thought about this, I thought, my gosh, today, people, I have to be careful how I say this because there's so many not here today. If you're at home, I'm not trying to pick on people that are staying home because of COVID, but I'm, I'm referring to how the littlest thing keeps us from doing anything for God. Yes. To be in the way meant you were willing to give your resource, to give of your talents, and specifically to give your life if that was required. 
And in that first century, it was very probable that at the very least you would be persecuted. Maybe beaten. Oh, he's one of the way. Get him! People hated him. What's that have to do with today? I don't know where we're headed. I really don't. Do you? Do you know where this country's going to be in a month? You don't. I don't know. But I do know this. The more that the light shines, the more that the darkness tries to come against it. And people, for whatever reason, they seem to hate Christians almost as much as some people hate the president. Almost. Why? I really can't answer that. But I do know this people are confused, they're being they're being led around like this. Many of them don't even realize it. And that's why you and I, we have got to be, if we're in the way, if we're a Christian, if we truly are living for Christ, people need to see that in us. There has to be a difference. They have to be able to see that you have something they need. Many years ago, I had people come to me when I worked at General Motors, and they would actually say that. They would say, you know, I don't understand exactly what you are. That's kind of a fun way to have somebody introduce. I don't really understand you, but I like what I see. What is it? What is it? And of course you know what I'd say. <laughs> Jesus. He made the difference. I would point them to Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So in the early church, people knew that if they were in the way, it would often lead to their persecution and perhaps even martyrdom. And you know this still takes place today, right? Here we are in our comfortable uh, five-inch cushioned chairs, intentionally, so you could endure my long messages. And there are people meeting on the other side of the globe in huts, in the heat, without air conditioning, without heat. Can you believe it? And they're still going to hear the message. Without the flash and the pomp. The music comes from their voices. And they're probably, a lot of them are off key. They don't care. Because they love God and they just want to be with others who love God. 
That's the important part. The body of Christ. And I'm not picking on modern churches. I love comfort. I turned the heat up a notch because I saw all of you wearing your coats. We can do that. But I'm, I just brought that up to say we're blessed. Would we be here if we didn't have all of the comforts? If the worship team stunk, if all I did was come out here and just preach the word right from Scripture, would you still come? Some of you are like, yeah, I would. Some of you are thinking about it. Of and in the way. What I'm going to say next is very important. And it is leading somewhere, by the way. Um, How many of you know that God came after you? You didn't go after Him. I used to say this. I came to the Lord back in April of 1981. And today I'll tell you, I stand corrected. The Lord knew me in my mother's womb. He had counted the very hairs on my head. And they get less and less every year. Of course, it moves from here to the rest of my body. <laughs> Mainly my ears. Any, anybody else struggle with that? Sheesh. It's like I need to put a lawnmower in there. We need to realize that God loves us, His people. Even before we're born again, He loves you. He knew He knew exactly who you were going to be and what you were going to do and how you were going to blow it along the way. None of it took him by surprise. None of it. And my whole point is we cannot take credit for coming to God. Romans 5.8 But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. When? While we were still sinners. He beat you to the punch. (laughs) Which is a good thing. Right? One of the great passages that illustrate this theme I'm talking about here is Luke 15. If you have your Bibles, your swords, you can turn there with me. And... The context of it is basically that Jesus is meeting with, watch out, sinners. What? Did you hear that? Jesus is going to meet with sinners. What would we do if sinners came into our church?
I hope so. I sure hope you would reach out. I sure hope you'd love them. I sure hope you wouldn't be standing there judging them. <laughs> I love this. Tax collectors. Now listen, we might despise the IRS. Some of us. I don't, I'm sure. None of you do either. Because you're Christian. Right? But back then, tax collectors, they were wicked people. And all they tried to do was cheat you out of everything you had. The more they could tax you, the more they would. They'd look for things. Oh, is that new? Oh, well, that'll be. And people went broke as a result. So it's not surprising that a lot of people felt really poor about these people. Tax collectors. And then it says, what? Other notorious sinners. How many have ever been a notorious sinner? Come on. Really? Peggy, I could see you in your bell bottoms. You, you didn't go to the, uh, that one big concert. Did Woodstock, you didn't go to that, did you? But you could have real easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that before you were born again? Okay. Tax collectors, other notorious sinners often came, and I love this. Oh, how do we blow this? They came to listen to Jesus' teaching. Where have we gone wrong? How many of you have notorious sinners coming to your place to listen to you talk about the Lord? Where do we miss this? Hello? <laughs> Are you just thinking or did I just lose you? I, I fear that the church has gotten this thing flipped around and it's like we forget. We need to go to them. They should be able to meet us wherever, in the coffee shop, in our home, at work, and talk about it. The Master, the Savior, and what He's done for us. Hallelujah. But what happens is we judge. They don't even get the words out. And we've already got them going to hell. Hell, that's a wicked person. When we ought to be thinking, I wonder if this is his or her day. I wonder if Jesus is going to get a hold of his heart today. You know, what if Jaime had given up on me? Six months that man worked on me. I never went to him. He came to me. Until that day that I was just desperate enough to say, tell me about your Jesus. What if he'd given up? You'd have a different pastor here today. Don't say amen. <laughs> you can say that later when I'm not in earshot. 
This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. How many of you eat with notorious sinners? Some of you, it's your family. I get it. But I'm talking outside of that. I think sometimes we get Jesus so wrong. To be righteous is to be able to hang out with notorious sinners. Does that mean you do what they do? No. If you got that out of this, How are they going to ever meet our Lord if we don't talk about Him? So Jesus told them the story. All right, that's how you guys think. You think I'm hanging out with notorious sinners and eating with them? That's how you think. Let me tell you a parable. If a man has a hundred sheep, one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Does that sound like something that you would do for a notorious sinner? Hello? And then he goes on, verse 6. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. You know God's trying to show us something here, right? Jesus wants us to catch this. He's looking for those who are lost. He wants all people to find their way to His Father. Father God. Verse 8, He goes into the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. When notorious sinners come to Christ, they're noticed in heaven. Not only should the church rejoice, but heaven is rejoicing along with us. What's Jesus saying here? He wanted everyone to see that every person is extremely valuable to God. Every person. Even the least of people <laughs> give cause for God to go after them. He doesn't want to lose any. 
The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises, as some people think. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from their sin and no one to be lost. God didn't send Jesus Christ, His Son, to die for this world for nothing. Now, if we don't take advantage of that freedom, if we don't accept what He did for us and and get washed in the blood of Christ, if we don't do that, then what we're saying is, well, I guess you did that for nothing as far as I'm concerned. But to God, each of us, It's like that coin. We're so valuable to Him, He will go after us for a lifetime to try to get us to come to the way, the truth, and the life. That's His mission. That we would all live with Him in heaven. If He could have His way, that's how it would be. But He he gave us this freedom thing, this will to choose. Because he didn't want a bunch of robots. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Are you? He wanted us to choose him from what we understood about him and about the Father, about the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. He wanted us to, wanted us to choose life. But it's up to us. You and me. That's the beauty of God. Could he go? And we'd be down here doing this. He could. But that's not what he wants. He wants us to freely choose him. And if we choose to get on our knees, so be it. To worship him. To honor Him. To serve Him. But He will not make you. That's a choice. How many can say amen? Amen. Where am I? I'm going to look at one more Bible character. I love this guy. Zacchaeus. Turn with me to Luke 19. I think the reason, and when I first read this, I was like, oh, how cool is this? He wasn't just a tax collector. As you're going to see, he was the chief tax collector, the grand poobah. Probably the most crooked, as you'll see here in just a minute. And he became a follower of the way after meeting Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very, very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. I know some of you are vertically challenged. Horizontally blessed. That's this way, right? (laughs) 
He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, at first glance, it might seem that Zacchaeus is going after Jesus, right? Rather than what I started with, that God was going after him. But hang on, watch what happens next. When Jesus came by, he looked up. Ah, hallelujah. Zacchaeus, he looked up at Zacchaeus. He called him by name. How many of you know God knows your name? Zacchaeus, (laughs) quick, come down. Oh, can you imagine? This guy had no idea what he was in for, what was coming next. I, I must be a guest in your home today. What would you do if you were walking down through Gaylord, you heard that Jesus was coming, and he calls you out by name and says, today I want to come to your house and have lunch. <laughs> You'd be like, what? Me? Little old me? What do we have in Jesus? <laughs> Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house. In what? Man, I'm telling you what, when you meet with Jesus, there's every atom in your body just pulses. This is that experiential side of God that he wants you to know. And Zacchaeus was excited. And there's that J-O-Y word. That's related to the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? I'm not suggesting he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm saying, though, when you get in the presence of the Lord, there's joy! (laughs) When I was first, when I first met the Lord, when he really got a hold of me in 81, before Jesus, this is me. After Jesus, It was cheesy grin everywhere I went. And it wasn't fake. It was real. Because the joy of Jesus was in me. He got a hold of my heart. Hallelujah. This last part. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of, here it is again, a notorious sinner. They grumbled. You know, that's what a lot of our religious people do. Grumble, 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 grumble. You get around them, you hear them. They're in their little corner. If you saw this, Let's put yourself back there, all right? Go back with Jesus, Zacchaeus. You just see this little man, this notorious sinner. I remember when he taxed me, 
10 shillings or whatever it was for that. He comes down the tree and you see he's all excited about it. And then you, you go by his house and there's Jesus got his feet up at his table and they're having dinner together. What would you think if you knew that this Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah, that was supposed to be the Son of God, that was supposed to lead people to heaven, and here he is, feet up, eating dinner with a notorious chief tax collector. What would you think? Would it bother you? Or would you be, hallelujah, another one's in the kingdom. Shouldn't that be our, our take on this? But too often, what is it? Man, what's he doing here? What's he doing in this place? How dare them let her in? Do you know what that person did? It doesn't matter to God. What matters to God is that you welcome him when he comes knocking. Just as he did with Zacchaeus. The religious people were frustrated. They judged Zach, and not righteously. I believe they forgot what the Lord had done for them, and was doing for them, and would do for them. You see, too often we find ourselves as judge, jury, because we've forgotten how far we've come. None of us deserved heaven. None of us deserved forgiveness. It was given us by God's mercy as a result of His grace. And when we are meeting out judgment, we need to be so careful, especially when it comes to sinners. Because you don't know. That might be the day of salvation for that person. And if you hinder them from coming to Christ, there's a scripture, I believe it's Mark 10, that talks about if you cause one of these little ones, and, and he's, he's dealing with children, but listen to me, I believe that he's also referring to young people in the Lord. If we cause anyone to turn from God, that Scripture says it would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and cast it into the sea than it is to stand before the judge when that day comes. So instead of Causing people to go away from God, we need to be in a place where we're bringing them to the Lord. Into the way, the truth, and the life. Does that make sense? Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and <laughs> I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. If I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. 
How many of you, when you got born again, you thought, you know, I did this to this person, maybe I should go pay him back. I had some of those thoughts enter my head. Zacchaeus wanted to make it right because he had had a heart change after meeting the Master, Jesus. He was changed from the inside out. This notorious chief tax collector wasn't too big for God to chisel down. But no one is. Nobody's too big for God to chisel down. We don't know if Zacchaeus actually followed through with this. I'd like to think he did. We don't hear about him after this. But one thing is for certain. What Jesus did with Zacchaeus... Oops, I must have skipped one. The Lord can do for you. If you're listening today online, what Jesus did... For Zacchaeus, he can do for you. The last couple of verses. Here's the miracle. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to what? That was his purpose. That was his mission. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. That's why Jesus came. To save the lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin. He came to bring salvation. Do you think it was a fluke, a coincidence, that Jesus came to Jericho that day? Uh uh. No, it wasn't. I believe it was destiny. Jesus saw him in that tree way before he got there. Jesus saw the heart of this man crying out. He had no friends. Maybe no family. It doesn't say. Even though he was rich, how many know money is nothing if you don't have people to share it with? And God felt his heart. God feels your heart. He feels your heart. You think, I'm all alone. But you're not. That's right. God sensed Zacchaeus' heart. And he said, today... Salvation has come to your house. And my question to you is, has Jesus come to your house yet? Are you like Zachary, 
Zacchaeus. A sinner climbing a tree to see him. (laughs) Come down. I'm coming to your house today. I would say that to you. If you haven't already done this, invite Jesus to come and have lunch with you. (laughs) Then you'll experience God's forgiveness and the healing of your soul. One of my favorite verses, Revelation 3.20, and I, I put the passion here. I hadn't read it before, so... Behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. Knocking. Not, behold, I came to your house and I knocked. This is present tense. I'm there. You're inside with your Lysol spraying the air because you don't want them smelling your cigarette smoke. No, that's not you guys. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, where's the lock? Where's the lock on the door of the heart? Within. You hear that? Who has the key? You, you have to open it. I will come into you and feast with you, and you will feast with me. Praise the Lord. That's what it looks like when Jesus comes a knocking at a sinner's door. Like Zacchaeus, salvation came to his household. And he was a changed man from the inside out. Like Zacchaeus, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, knocking. Question is, will you let him in? He wants to have a meal with you. And I believe that the symbolism of this is He wants to be intimate with you. He already knows you inside and out. He wants you to know Him. And that's what happens when you open the door of your heart. He starts putting things in you that weren't there before and and He helps you to remove some things that shouldn't be there. It's a process. We call it sanctification. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. We'll talk about that more next week. In, of, (laughs) what was the other one? On the way. Yeah, that's right. We'll talk about that next week. But today, I'd like you to stand with me if you would. When Jesus told Zacchaeus he wanted to come to his home and sup with him, have a meal with him. Zachary could have said no. 
Not today, Lord. I've got, I've got things going. You know, family's coming over. Well, you know, there's a football game on today, Lord. I need to go, I need to go see that football game. Kind of doing a modern tense thing, but you get where I'm going with this? We can choose not to let him come in. Oh, we'd be so much better off if we just say, yes, Lord. Come on. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Open your heart to the Lord. Let him change you from notorious sinner to notorious saint. <laughs> Some of you already know what I'm talking about, right? So the question is, would you like to be of the way and in the way? How do you do that? How do you join the team, the way, the truth, and the life? Would you like to be a child of God? Your father, and I was going to go to the prodigal son story, but I felt like I've already spent enough time on this. Some of you, you had a relationship with the Lord, but you have stepped away. You're going the other way. You're going the wrong way. And I believe that that whole story has to do with the love that God the Father has for us. Even when we turn our backs on Him and we take everything He's given us and we, we use it in the wrong way, He's still willing to accept us back into His fold as his child. Maybe that's you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you know the hearts of every person in this room and those watching online today. I know that you are a passionate God who loves your people. And you have made a way where there was no other way. You did that through Jesus Christ, your son. He came in the flesh, born of a virgin conceived through the Holy Spirit. He lived life as one of us, fully God, fully man, in order to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, in order to bring salvation to each of our homes when we open our hearts to Him as Revelation 3.20 said, I stand, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. 
will you open it? With all heads bowed, and I can't see you folks at home, but you know this in your heart. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus. Either I've never really accepted him before, like Zacchaeus, or I've walked away from him. I knew him once, but I've gone and I've spent all the inheritance, but I realize I need to come back. And listen to me, I believe the Father is watching for you to come back, just as he did that prodigal son. He was looking for you to come back. Is today your day? If you need Jesus in either of those categories, would you just lift a hand up real quick so I can see it? Yep, hands going up. Anybody else? Yep, you can put them down. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And again, if, if you are at home, maybe you raised your hand. Doesn't matter if you're somewhere else today. We're live. This is right now. I want you to pray with us and ask the Lord who's knocking on your door right now, the door of your heart, ask Him to come in. Ask Him to forgive you. Would you pray this with me? And, and if, if you would, those who raise their hand, listen, you don't have to do this week after week after week. This is a once and done thing as far as becoming born again. The blood of Jesus is more than enough to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. If you're ready for this, I want you to pray this. By the way, I was going to say this earlier and I, I didn't. This costs you something. This might cost you your friends. <laughs> Sometimes your family, your family will think you're nuts. If they're not born-again Christians, it might cost you your job somewhere down the road. There are places today in this world where if you're a Christian, they will not hire you. They will not let you work for them. That's the persecution that you might end up seeing in your life if you say yes to Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. It's worth it. <laughs> How many can say it's worth it? It's worth that little bit of pain because someday when we get to heaven, we are going to be in the glory of God where there is no sin, there is no death, there are no tears, there is no pain, and that's going to be forever. Hallelujah. That's what's in store for those who God loves and who have accepted what He did for them and invited them in. So I want you to pray this with me if you raised your hand or if you're at home and you want more of God today. Heavenly Father, thank You for the love of Jesus and His willingness to die for me. Today I ask You, Lord, Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person. Help me to live for you all the days that I have left. I give you my life, all that I am, all that I have. Use me 
Spend me as only you can, Lord. Change me from the inside out. I pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. What are the angels doing right now? <laughs> They're rejoicing. What's God doing? My son came home. My daughter came home. <laughs> Woo he is excited. Now, this means that you should be excited and have the joy of God in your heart, right? So if you go out of here like a grumble bunny, something's wrong. Come on. Right? Next week, I want to talk about on the way. It's a, a very important message. It does have to do with the Holy Spirit too, by the way. Today, look for opportunities. People that are hurting. People that are in need. People that need prayer. Maybe a leg up. Whatever that might look like. Let God use you to His glory. That's what the church is all about, right? Hallelujah. Father, bless these folks as they leave here today. We trust that as we place our, our lives into your hands, Lord, you're going to do something amazing with us. Lord, we look forward to your soon return, whatever that is. But until then, keep us safe from the enemy. Help us to avoid temptation. Give us our daily bread. And Lord, may we know you better tomorrow than we did today. We pray this all again in Jesus' name. Amen. One last night of prayer this Wednesday before the election. Join us. I'd love to see everybody show up. It's very important this year. So 6.30 right here Wednesday. God bless you.